Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. So glad that you could be with us and that we could go ahead and have our, um, well, what we do every week. We talk about how pastors and church leaders can be the answer, can be can be leading the charge, leading the way for preventing and repenting abortion in the church. I think that abortion is always a spiritual issue because it is always an issue of life and death. And it forces us to confront what it is that we believe about God, what it is we believe about life, even the afterlife. And I I believe that the church is uniquely positioned also to, of course, lead healing the people most wounded by abortion. And as we talk about that, we often talk about the impact of mothers who have lost children to abortion, but it's not as often that we talk about the impact of abortion on men and the ways that abortion wounds fatherhood, manhood, the heart and spirit of a man. And that's what we're going to discuss today with our guest, Greg Mayo, who is an award-winning author and public speaker and whose work focuses on helping people find forgiveness and healing and grace. He's written a number of articles for and columns for publication, and he's spoken to dozens of groups on men's issues, family dysfunction, reconciliation with God, authentic masculinity, and yes, abortion healing. And uh, Greg is currently living in Indianapolis, for those who are Midwesterners. And Greg, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to Cradle My Heart Radio today. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. You and I connected on Twitter, as uh, so many of the people in my abortion healing circle have. And I I appreciate you being an outspoken voice there, especially for the unique ways in which men are impacted by abortion. Um, As you think about that, interactions that you've had with people on social media and, you know, people that you're not uh, particularly close to, that you don't have that intimate connection to share such a tender part of your past. Uh, what is it you most would like people to know without knowing you, so to say? Do you know what I mean, Craig? Yeah. It's, it's like, here's your here's your chance <laughs> to just say it like it is, what you think people really need to know about abortion woundedness in men. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, and this starts all the way back to when I got in touch with uh, my own abortion issues, but the biggest thing is that abortion absolutely impacts the father. Um, and unfortunately, for the last 50-plus years, men have been told, and, and society in general, that men have no voice, right? 
it's not their body. It's, it, we can go down to all the arguments. But the reality of it is that it does impact the father, that it does impact the man. Um, when my girlfriend had an abortion, I was a, an 18-year-old kid, and the moment, the moment she walked out of the clinic doors, something was wrong. And I saw it in her, but and I talk about that. But what I talk about in my talks a lot is that something was changed in me as well. And without having that validation and that voice to be able to say, hey, I'm feeling this. This is a problem and somebody to walk me through it. I drifted for years and years and years. And so the most important thing for men to understand is that your pain is valid and it's real. It's not imaginary. Um, it's not some form of psychosis. It's a legitimate pain. You lost a child. And I think the other most important thing to know is that help is available. Mm. That's excellent, excellent summary. You know, uh, Greg has written a book, Almost Daddy, which is a fictionalized version of a young man going through an abortion decision experience. And also he's written a recovery guide, um, a men's guide to healing after abortion, also titled Almost Daddy. And, you know, having, having perused your work, Greg, and again, you know, reading your posts and thinking about some of your messaging, um, when you that word drifted, that you drifted after the the experiencing the initial shock of it, you just drifted. I think that there's a passivity that many of us as women go through because the decision is made for us by others. But I, I think it's probably more prevalent among men that there's a passivity that goes into the experience that leads to more problems um, in the aftermath as well. Talk about that drifting and how you really didn't, you really didn't have a role in this decision, if it sounds like, or, or at least the protagonist in your story, Almost Daddy, had no role in the decision. And, and nor did I. Um, and, and so let's talk about that drifting concept for a minute. So, the two loudest voices in this conversation are, on the one side, folks saying, well, it's not a baby. It's just a clump of cells. It's not a human. Now, it, deep in our in, inside us, in our core, in our spirit, in our gut, whatever you want to attach to that, we know that's not true. Okay, so that's, that's one side. Unfortunately, for a long time, and especially for me back in the late 80s, early 90s, the other voice that was the loudest was, you're going to burn in hell, you're a baby killer, God hates you, all that kind of stuff, right? And so when we talk about drifting, think about a sailing metaphor, um, which I've just picked up in the last couple of years, and suddenly it's entered my lexicon. But anyway, um, it's, it's pulling your sails down and pulling the anchor up and just letting the boat goes where it goes. It, that's what life felt like me for most of my 20s. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have a voice for it. Um, and I was being lied to by both sides. And I think that's the key. There was no truth coming out of either side. The truth is, it is a human being from the moment of conception. Um, and then the other truth is that while abortion is a horrible, horrible thing, there's always the possibility and the hope of redemption and restored relationship with God. That's the message that we as Christians, and I don't care what your denomination, Protestant, Catholic, whatever, it doesn't matter— that's the message we have to be sharing the loudest. Mm. Greg Mayo is our guest. He's the author of Almost Daddy and a recovery guide based on the novel as well. And yes, this um, these two competing messages, 
for me as a woman who had abortion decided for me and passively went along with it, um, you know, the, it's not a baby, that denial of the reality, the scientific and, you know, physical reality that every pregnancy involves another human being and that these these children from conception forward have a body. It begins as a single cell, but that is a body. You know, I, I, I it's amazing to me, Greg, that we have to keep making these points because there are still so many people who either reject that truth or are still not in any way aware of it. But that single cell represents a body. You know, the fetus, the zygote, the embryo, every stage there is a body, which means that with every abortion there's a body count. And we call it abortion statistics, but that's a body count of children's right. lives, right? But no, if you if you just buy into this, it's not a baby and deny it, and then you hear the other voice that you're a terrible person, you're a killer. You know, I went through this cycle of denial and despair, denial and despair, listening to one voice or the other. And it becomes exhausting, which is, I think, it really contributes to the drifting. You just give up. You're like, I can't fix any of this. I can't fix the fact that, you know, I can't undo it. I can't save myself from my sin. As a person who had a basic grounding in Christian teaching, I did not understand the cross, but my heart knew I couldn't save myself from the sin of it. And I think this is, you know, the despair that men and women uh, go through, and and even more so if, for, as for me, I won't speak for you, but as for me, I felt that my passivity was actually cowardice, you know, because I did know better somewhere in my heart. I did know that this wasn't what I wanted, and yet it happened. And I don't know what to call that other than cowardice. And I imagine it impacts men, this idea of passivity as being such an uh, antithetical idea to masculinity has got to be a spiritual wound on top of the loss and the reproductive loss that attends to abortion for men. Absolutely. And cowardice is a great word for it because as a man, your your first job in this world is to protect your family, right? So when you're a participant in an abortion, and, and, and this is true whether you pushed for it, you fought against it, you didn't know, it doesn't matter the circumstance. When you have a child that's aborted, you automatically feel like a failure. Like I failed in my my job to protect this child, um, and so me as an eighteen year old kid, uh, I was against it, and I communicated as such. And the thought for years after that was, why well, didn't fight hard enough? I wasn't man enough. Um, I didn't stand up enough. I didn't do whatever enough. Right? It's all the what ifs, right? The the hindsight's twenty twenty thing, and and so dealing with that and the shame that's attached to that. And we talk about shame in terms of healthy shame and toxic shame, right? Healthy shame is I did wrong. And and that's from God. That's a that's a marker by the Holy Spirit that says, Hey dude, you need to check out what you're doing over here. But then we have toxic shame, which often accompanies a, an abortion experience. Toxic shame is I am wrong. In other words, I'm unredeemable, I'm defective, um, I'm a coward, I'm not a man, I'm not a good man. And, and that can go go off into a whole thing about authentic masculinity in our modern culture, which we don't have time for today. <laughs> but but nonetheless valid. And I'll tell you something else, Kim. When I was 24, um, I was living somewhere else in the country. I, I drifted a lot in my 20s, both 
figuratively and geographically. And um, I was out for a motorcycle ride one Sunday morning, and I saw this church. And, and, and coming over the hill, it just looked beautiful, the big white steeple. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to church. Um, as a kid, I was wrong church. I like to call it my grandma's church. Um, I joked that, and it's true, but I joked that every Sunday I found out a new reason I was going to hell. Um, so it wasn't really the love of God that I was taught. But nonetheless, I had this draw, and, and I pulled into this church. Now, granted, I had long hair at the time, and I was in writing leathers, but um, I sat down, and the message happened to be about abortion that day. Mm. And the pastor um, came right out of the gate swinging, as we say, and immediately was talking about uh, the sin of abortion and how uh, abortion's an unredeemable sin. And mm. I don't know how he ended the sermon or even um, peaked in the middle of it because I got up and left that that was the wrong message. And to somebody that was already, you know, chest deep in toxic shame, uh, that was that was a message that sent me further down the wrong path for, for even longer. Mm. And I see that. Uh, I see that. And I, I see that mistake being made by people who have failed to actually speak with people impacted by abortion and wounded by abortion. Uh, it's just pure ignorance because, you know, you can have perfect theology and be perfectly wrong um, in your messaging. And you're right, authentic masculinity is a separate discussion. But one of the things that I do want to say in follow-up is, you know, this this idea that you weren't man enough. I think abortion is emasculating to every man it touches. Absolutely. I mean, because even if he... Um, well, I'll let you talk about that. You say absolutely. Tell us why abortion is emasculating to men. Well, it, it goes back to that. The first job of a man is to protect his family, right? It, it, if you fail at that, and if, if you had an abortion, you failed at it. And I can say I failed at it. Um, but if that's your first experience with that, it, it colors and taints everything going forward. Um how you feel when you see little kids playing at the park. Um, it, it even impacted how I parented when I actually had children. Yes. So, and, and the other thing is uh, you take away a man's power and, and men have certain jobs and that, that we're wired for. And that sort of goes into that umbrella of authentic masculinity. When you take away one of those things and the man has no power to stop it, no power to do anything about it, no voice in it whatsoever, then you're taking away a piece of that manhood. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to reclaim that, to reclaim that that authentic masculinity. Uh, we may never get there with regards to abortion and the legality of the thing. I don't know. But what I have seen and what I've been able to witness over the past several years of working in the abortion recovery world is that men are able to reclaim that authentic masculinity. They're re able to reclaim that piece of their manhood and stand a little taller and throw their shoulders back a little bit when they do find healing. And I'll say the phrase again, that restored relationship with God. Mm, because he's defining what makes you a man and makes you masculine. Exactly. Interesting. You know, power, it's all about power. I think John MacArthur has preached this for many years, that feminism in America anyway is all about power. And when you think about what women did in the women's movement and their handlers— the abortion industry, including figures like Bernard Nathanson, um, who later, of course, repented and became a Christian. Um, 
you know, it, they went and secured the right to abortion at the expense of the rights of men and children. And so, you know, I challenge women who are in favor of this as a necessary equal right to talk about what happens to the rights of fathers to assert, you know, their their wish and their will for their children to live. And I think about, you know, um, how what a perfect scheme it is to destroy people, <laughs> you know, to destroy. I mean, fathers have no legal standing in the lives of their children before their birth. And most men don't know this, especially, you know, men who feel like it's the chivalrous thing and the masculine thing to do to support a woman's right to choose, because that's the talking point. So it's right. it's like this huge double bind uh, that men are in. And I, I applaud you finding your healing. You know, I think that um, maybe you want to say a little bit about your background in the healing community that I think maybe helped pave the way for you being able to work on this issue in particular. So it's, it, it's a funny thing, and, and I'll, I'll give you the short version. Um, but uh, it's been a long journey. But I, I was going through some stuff about 12 or 14 years ago, and my pastor gave me a book called When Life is Hard by John MacArthur. And I read the book and decided to do a small group for men with the book. And one night um, during that, our normal Thursday night thing, I came across the passage, and this voice in my head said, hey, share that abortion story. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. But the voice persisted, and I did. And I found four or five other guys in that group of 13 or 14 men who had abortion stories. And right then, Kim, a light went off. And I was like, wait a minute. If I've been keeping this to myself, how many other guys are? How many other guys are experiencing pain? And so I started reading all these books. There weren't a lot available for men, and most of them were written by women. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I like I always tell people, you know, I've been married over 20 years, and one thing I've learned with absolute certitude is that I don't know how women think. So <laughs> I, I don't write to women. I write to men uh, because I'm a man. And so the same is true. Well, anyway, um, after a lot of time, that, that so that going through that recovery process is what led me to write Almost Daddy to begin with because I wanted to tell it in a story form. But here's the funny thing, and I and I think it's worth noting. Um, I had been around twelve step recovery stuff since I was a teenager. My dad, um, when he passed in February, had forty seven years sobriety. He's a recovering alcoholic. And as a teenager, my dad said, "Hey, my drinking probably messed you up. You should go to Alateen. It, you know, for children of alcoholic parents." And so I did. And I read dozens and dozens of self-help books. I went to therapy for a while. I even told a therapist when I was in my 20s about the abortion, and he said, well, that's, I don't think that's an issue that you're dealing with. And he just kind of brushed it off. So by the time I hit abortion recovery at 38 years old, um, I had spent over 20 years in the recovery, I say in air quotes, world, and yet the abortion thing never came up. And so reading that John MacArthur book, and talking to these other guys and then reading this abortion stuff really started connecting a lot of dots for me. Um, and it changed everything. It changed. I have four sons. It changed the way I parented. It changed the kind of husband I was. It changed the way I interacted with everybody because God finally was able to get through and give me the peace that he had been waiting to give me. Right. Um, and I'll tell you something else. 
so after going through this process, uh, I, this was probably 10 years ago, eight years ago, I was at a church on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade on a Sunday morning, and the pastor asked me to get up and just say two or three minutes, you know, worth of. And what I shared was statistics and details about numbers of abortions and, and sort of extrapolate that out to the number of people in the congregation right now that had experienced some kind of loss. At the end of that, um, I prayed over the congregation and, you know, offered myself and one of the other pastors would be outside if anybody wanted to talk, yada, yada, yada. Well, the very next thing that happened, Kim, was the worship leader, after I went and sat down, decided to pray over all the horrible sinners that wow. had chosen abortion. Wow. And and he went on this, um, this sort of Goebbels-style angry tirade about abortion disguised as a prayer. Um, and, and I told him afterwards, I'm like, you, you, you've damaged a lot of men that were in this audience that, that may have come forward. Um, and I just think that that as, as I've learned over the course of the last 12 years of doing the abortion recovery work and talking to different groups and whatever, churches are still by far and away the hardest nut to crack as far as openly talking about it. Yeah, I, I, it's, this is what we deal with, excuse me, every week, and equipping and encouraging pastors and church leaders on preventing and repenting abortion. That's what we do. That's our mission and our vision, right? And you're right. Um, and so we every week we try to put in another piece of the puzzle. Maybe this will help you. <laughs> Maybe this will help you. But you're right. When the messaging comes as condemnation and First of all, again, it's ignorance. You're assuming there are people in the room not impacted by this, but you're wrong. You know, and and he somehow all your statistics escaped him, apparently. Um, and I, so I, I think if nothing else, you know, if you t- that you take away from our conversation here with our guest, Greg Mayo, author of Almost Daddy, is don't do that. Right. I mean, if you're going to do right. anything, just don't do that. What not to do. Um, Greg, think, thinking about your own story and your own experience, and it's ridiculous for me as a host that I'm now getting to ask you this question 20 minutes into our conversation. But in the in the in the novel, Almost Daddy, uh, and I'm, it's not a spoiler because this is how the novel begins. The young man is, you know, taken from his home on on a car ride by the young woman's mother and mom's calling all the shots. And, you know, there's a great relationship between this young man and the woman. And I just, I don't know if how closely this mirrors your own story, but it's just such a picture of female authority gone awry um, that maybe you want to give us some words uh, to those parents. I mean, parents and partners are the influencers of abortion decisions for young women who don't know what to do. If you want to just talk about that misuse of authority. Yeah, so let's let's say this first. It is a novel, um, but it does have bits of my journey sprinkled in, right? And that scene, both the opening scene on the steps of the clinic and then the car ride and stuff, that's pretty close to what actually happened. Um, and I think that... Uh, an unplanned pregnancy for, for a young couple uh, can be a very, very frightening thing. It's, it's not what you plan, obviously, um, but it's also something that you're probably not mentally or emotionally prepared for. You know, at that time in my life, I was looking forward to going to Indiana University, hoping to play soccer. Um, 
writing for the college newspaper as I did for the high school. You know, I mean, I have these things that I wanted to do. And when an unplanned pregnancy pops up, everything sort of stops. And so who do you look to? Who do you look to for advice? Well, she looked to her mom, who, who I love dearly. Um, but unfortunately, her mom had her own fears about it and, and gave us some bad advice. And, and I think that's where the community, and especially the church community, needs to step forward. They need to be able to be that voice. I've talked to so many people, Kim, who were Christians when they had an unplanned pregnancy. It didn't go to their pastor, didn't go to their parents because they were scared of how they'd be treated. That can't be the case. Um, it just can't. They've got to get sound advice. Like, look, I understand you you were having sex before marriage. You shouldn't have been. Okay, but now we're pregnant. Now what do we do? How do we best support you to be the best parents you can possibly be and take care of that child? Which was created by God for a purpose, right? Um, and unfortunately, people turn to other scared individuals, and they get advice like, well, we'll just have the abortion, it'll just go away. And that's the biggest lie, because it doesn't ever go away. I'm 52 years old. It, it doesn't go away. Greg, thank you so much for sharing that part of the story. I know it's never um, easy, and I know it always costs us a little something to go back to those days. And I... I uh, I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm applauding you sharing your story so for the healing of many and for the glory of God, because it's God who has restored you. Uh, we're just about out of time, and I want to encourage our readers to take it, our listeners, that is, to take advantage of the materials that you've written that they can read and just give you an opportunity to invite them to your social media and where they can get in touch. Yeah, so uh, go to almostdaddy.com. Um, you can contact me there, and my materials are available there. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, I'd be willing to talk to anybody, and it will be confidential. If, if you just need someone to sort it out with, maybe you're just getting in touch with your own abortion story, just reach out. We'll, we'll find a place to, to help you out. That's a beautiful offer, Greg, and thank you so much that God has positioned you to be able to make it. Greg Mayo, our guest from Almost Daddy. This is CradleMyHeart.org. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.